Well, all right. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn them to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1. If you're looking for Hebrews, go toward the end of your Bible and just keep looking until you find it. Uh, and so uh, I'm excited. For a few months now, I've been eager to open up the book of Hebrews with you and walk together uh, through these 13 chapters. We, we believe firmly around here. In fact, this is our main mode of teaching on Sundays as we open up a book of the Bible and we start from the beginning and then we just make our way uh, through the end. And what we like about that is we get to see themes develop. We get to understand uh, instructions as they are given to us in context. Uh, and then, uh, largely for me, is it assures that I'm not a coward of the Word. Uh, that I'm, I'm willing to walk into verses of the Bible that can be rather difficult at times uh, to swallow and, and to walk through. And so, uh, but for a couple of months, I've been, I've been excited because uh, Hebrews is, is one of my favorite books. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a great and a challenging letter because the author of it works very hard through biblical and through theological exploration just to draw our eyes to Jesus. You know you found a good book in the Bible when it says, hey, look at Jesus. And, and so, in fact, the author is so determined to reveal and to prove to us who Jesus is that, that they don't even care for us to know who they are. Uh, and and so, so we know almost nothing about who wrote it. We, uh, we know almost nothing about the original audience except for the fact that it has been placed by God in the canon of Scriptures. And so we know that it, it is a letter written to people who are believers and and we don't really know much of the context uh, behind it, but, but there are some solid guesses revolving around these lingering questions. And I feel very strongly that there's a reason why God has chosen to keep the author and the audience a mystery. Uh, and that one day we will be able to see that, but I think we don't have to look hard because the whole intent of the book is about looking at Jesus and saying that He is greater than fill up the equation. That He is greater than any of it. In fact, He connects the dots and He says Jesus is greater than the prophets and the angels, greater than Moses and the promised land, greater than the high priest, greater than the old covenant. And then what we're going to find in chapter 10, which I think is going to take us a couple months to get to, um, what we find in chapter 10 is we begin focusing on our response to who Jesus is and, and how we live and how we stand firm and how we grow in our faith and how we press on and how we uh, stay strong and how we worship and how we love and how we live, that, that every chapter we walk through together is a worship-filled privilege that we get to experience. And so uh, this morning we're going to be drawn uh, really just to the first three verses of, of this entire uh, letter because it sets the tone. And what we're going to be introduced to uh, are the two main characters in really any story we will ever, ever hear and ever walk through. Uh, because what we're going to find is that the two biggest players in our story is that, that we have a Heavenly Father who speaks and that we have His Son who reigns. And so that's what we get to celebrate in this morning. And so as we get ready, let's stop and let's pray. Father... We come to You and we are, we are so very thankful for Your Word today. 
And we pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would, you would bring life into this space that we would be able to look at Jesus this morning, that we would just be able to get a glimpse of how, how, how You have described Him and that our worship would erupt. We thank You for the privilege of opening Your Word. We thank You for the freedom to, to listen to Your Holy Spirit teach us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right. Let's just start. Verse number 1. You ready? You ready, Emma? Here we go. Verse number 1, Hebrews. says this, Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world, okay? So in here we get to meet our first two, but we're going to focus specifically on the Father who speaks. He speaks. In fact, there are some incredible opening lines to any story, let alone uh, this being the most necessary story we'll ever hear, that the author is coming in and he fills us in for how this letter needs to be interpreted. And he says that, that these verses will be in the context for how the gospel, the good news of Jesus will be shared throughout every word and every page. And so, so it, it's significant that the author begins by retelling of the person and the work of Christ by helping us understand His proper place as the center of God's story. We talk about that a lot around here, that God is telling a story and that the center of His story remains Christ and Christ alone. And, and so, so the story of God's saving work in Jesus Christ begins not during the age of the Romans when this letter was written, but it was, it was written long ago, written into the narrative of, of the Old Testament. And that the account of God's saving work in Jesus begins at the very beginning of creation. And so the way we've tried to frame that is, is when the Old Testament stops, it's not as if God said, hey guys, this isn't working, we've got to come up with a new plan. Okay? There's not been one moment in our existence that God was not in the work of redeeming and rescuing His kids in the most powerful ways. And so, so this means that our relationship with the Old Testament matters a great deal because God is, is not, he's not doing away with two-thirds of His story when Jesus arrives. In fact, uh, one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard about framing the Old Testament. I don't know if you ever struggle with reading the Bible. In fact, you'll, a lot of people will start in January because you don't start you know, now. You might as well save it up for the New Year's resolution time, right? And so you'll start in January and you'll open your Bible and you'll read uh, the account of Genesis and you get through creation and you get through Abraham and then you get into Joseph and it's like this just wild ride of crazy stuff, right? Uh, and then you get into Exodus and, and Moses is leading slaves out of Egypt into the promised land and you see God do these incredible things like like the Red Sea and you get to see uh, Joshua start to, to uh, I'm sorry this was, that was a lie because the end of Exodus does not end as action packed as you would like then you get into Deuteronomy and then you start to learn about these laws and that's almost I'm just giving you a heads up that's where you'll slow down and that's where you'll say 
Well, there's always next year. But so I've always struggled with the the argument. I'm sorry, the my attitude toward the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because I get to these places that story time, and it's fun, right? And it's flannel graph, and David's killing Goliath. But then I'll get to Leviticus, and it says this is how you present an offering to God. And you're like, well, that's boring. And you're like, can you say that? I don't know. Let's just all say it together. That way we're all in the same amount of trouble. Um, but there's a, a pastor, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfeed. Um, he says this, and he, he, as he talks about the Old Testament, he says, the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber uh, richly furnished but dimly lighted. That, that the introduction of light brings into it Nothing which was not in it before, but it brings out into clearer view much of what was in it, but was only dimly or even not at all perceived before. And so when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, both of these testaments work together because they are telling us something incredibly important about God's heart for us. And what we find here is that Jesus serves as the light that makes the movements found in the Old Testament much clearer. Everything that happens there leads us to the cross of Christ. That, that the writer of Hebrews also highlights the understanding of the story of Jesus and His work on the cross, meaning uh, means, it means grasping that God has sent Christ, but this wasn't the first time that God's intervened in human history. That's why the Old Testament is so beautiful. Because you see, time and time again, God's mercy and His compassion and His willingness to rescue His people from their own demise. And so, so the story of the incarnation of Christ, God's sending, is certainly unique of God's act in, in history. But, but God has been so active in unfolding the drama of redemption and setting the stage for the arrival of the Son that the author of Hebrews says it started long ago that you have a father who's been speaking. And now the question is, have we been listening? And so, so the gospel where, where the gospel comes to us in context of a revelation that has already been delivered to us by God. This wasn't God's first words to humanity. For centuries he spoke. The author has told, has told us he spoke to the Father, uh, he spoke to the fathers by the prophets, and so so this revelation came at, at different times and in different ways, right? So so sometimes God spoke through dreams, sometimes God sent angels to communicate, sometimes He spoke in visions, sometimes He inspires the Scripture. Uh, there's there's one time that He speaks to uh, someone through a donkey, right? So anything, anything to get this message. Across, God has been using it. And in all of this, what's been preserved for us in the Old Testament is the inerrant Word of God's Word and His faithfulness to His people the entire time. And so, so the Old Testament is, is not a different story from what we find in the New Testament. The Old Testament is simply a story in need of a conclusion. That's all it is. It's a story in need of a conclusion. The, the fathers and the prophets spoke the Word of God, but that Word was not the final Word. And so, so the Old Testament is not a, a different story from what we find in the New Testament. 
not different at all. And so, so what's vital for us to understand is, is how there are few things more important than the motion of God that God has spoken throughout history and has now given His final revelation in Jesus. That's what it is. Everything has been leading us. So, so if God did not reveal Himself through His Word, we would have no meaning, no knowledge of the meaning of the cross. It would just be an event. That we would have no, no understanding of the appropriate response to God's call in the Gospel. That, that it, it's, it's nothing but pure grace on God's part for Him to speak to us. That's what it is. We don't, we don't deserve His life-giving words. If, if God could not or did not speak, we would be left in darkness and ignorance. And, and for the most part, we deserve it. We deserve it. We bring nothing good to the table apart from Jesus. And so, so, so what verse 2 tells us is that Jesus is the fullest. He's the most complete revelation of the Father. And my favorite part in all of Hebrews is today. And it comes in verse 3. Because verse 3 is going to tell us why. And I think before we get there, let me, let me just say this, that I, w- I, would re- I would encourage you this week to spend some time just meditating and reveling and living in the fact that you have a Heavenly Father who speaks to you. He speaks. Not just then and and not just now, but His promise that He will continue speaking His truth over your life for the remainder of your days. For the remainder of it. And so, so as the Father speaks, He sends His Son, and as the Son fulfills what He's been sent to do, He now reigns. That's what we get. We have a Father who speaks, and we have a Son who reigns. A Father who speaks, a Son who reigns. And this all starts for us in these verses as a reminder of the relationship that Jesus shares with the Father. If you walk through any of the Gospels, Jesus spends a considerable amount of time explaining to the people that He's speaking to, hey, this is how I relate to the Father. This is how I relate to the Father. Because if we don't understand that relationship, we're going to struggle with how we understand Jesus at all. And so he comes in and we get this uh, reminder of their relationship. Verse 3 says this, says this about, about our King Jesus. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. And we're going to, we're going to talk verse 4 more next week. But, but verse 3 is so beautiful to me. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the power, by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And verse 3 teaches us so much. If we're on the outside of the faith, teaches us so much if we are new to the faith, teaches us so much if, we are commi- if we're committed Christ followers. That, that there's so much in here that, guys, I, I, I want us to slow down and I want you to try to catch all of it. And I, that might be an unreasonable expectation for you to catch it all because it's, 
It's so rich. And it's so powerful that we, we could just start by pointing out how Jesus is described with the Father. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He says, Christ is to the Father what rays are to the Son. That Christ is to the Father what rays are to the Son. That if you really want to know the heart of God, if you really want to know what God is like, the Bible tells us, all you have to do is follow the footsteps of Jesus in the Gospels. Because the way He acts and the way He treats people is the exact way the Father has a heart for us. And now, when we do that, some of us have only, because we, at times we want to cherry-pick parts of the Bible that we read about, so some of us only know of a Jesus that is uh, like super laid back and chill. It's like, hey guys, come to me. Everything's going to be cool. And so we get this image of a Jesus that, that is true but not complete. Because there are times Jesus comes in and He talks to us about compassion and He models compassion and He models sacrifice and He models service. And then there are times He says some very difficult things about holiness. And He does so because if God is the Son, He is the race. And so he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And so some of us have completely different relationships with Jesus and with the Father, right? Can we agree with that? That, that Jesus is super great because he saves us and God we're kind of afraid of because we don't know if he likes us much? And that's a problem. And it's unbiblical. Because what we find here is that when you look at Jesus, you get to see the Father. And we don't have any problem with falling in love with Jesus. But at times we have a hard time walking into the throne room of God. And so, so if you want to know the heart of God, we follow Jesus' footsteps and we realize that there's nothing that Jesus does that is not ordained or impressed upon Him by the Father. In my opinion, there, there's nothing that shows this more than the process we find at the end of verse 3. It says this, After making purification for sins, He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay? So, so let's consider this in three parts, right? And we'll break it up. We'll walk through it together. Uh, that, that we get three things here. We get He, right? So there's a person here. We get for sins. That's the problem that He had to deal with. And then thirdly, we get making purification. And we'll simply just dwell on these just real quickly. And then we'll dismiss. So it says, let's start with the he. Okay? So we never forget this. We never forget this. That there is a person involved here. There's a person who's alive, who laid down his life, who loves, who thinks, who feels, who wills, and even today has a body. That that body came down uh, from that cross and it rose from the tomb and though it had special qualities about it, it was recognized by his followers. Like, by his followers. So, so they, could, they could touch this body. The body could eat fish and prove that it wasn't a ghost. There's a whole person whom we, we're going to relate to forever and ever and ever. And the Bible says that he is alive. That he's at the Father's right hand. He is personal. That He promised He would never leave us or forsake us. And He has been true to that Word. He has been true every single day. He has promised 
to be with us. He is with us in this room now by His Spirit. He is closer to you than the closest person you've ever known. Ever. That He knows the parts of you that you want to hide from the rest of the world. He knows the deepest, darkest secrets of your life. And He loves you and He redeems you through those. So there, there's six things. Very quickly, you're like, six things, that's going to take forever. No. Very quickly. Six things I want us to know about Him in these verses. Number one, He's real. Don't ever forget that. Jesus is real. So cultivate a relationship with Him. Put Jesus at the center of your life. Relate to Jesus. Some of us became Christians through a form of evangelism that was exactly right when it just came in and it asked this very simple question, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Do you? It's the, it's the right question. Sometimes we take it lightly, but, but here's a person and he's alive and he's here and he's in heaven and he can do that and he's glorious. So we get to see how glorious he is because it's the gloriousness, if that's, is that a word? I wrote it and they didn't correct me in words, so there. It's the gloriousness that makes the lying down of his life so spectacularly valuable and assuring to us. Number two, he created. All things, all things were created by him. You can go to the opening lines in the Gospel of John. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word. And it says there's nothing that was created apart from him. And number three, he is the radiance of the Father's glory. Again, if you want to know the glory, the moral beauty of the glory of the Father, you read the Gospels and you behold the person of Jesus because He is, He radiates the Father's nature. It's streaming out of Him, the glory of God. Number four, He is the exact imprint of the nature of the Father. So, so Jesus will say this quite, a, quite often in the Gospels. He'll say, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. And the, churches, the, church, the Jewish church would get all up in arms about that like he's equating himself equal to the Father. No one does that, except for Jesus, by the way. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he'll say things like, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. doesn't matter how, try, how hard you try. It doesn't matter what gates you try to go over or try to sneak under. You don't go through. You don't see the Father if you don't see through me. And so... Number five, he upholds the universe. I love what John Piper says about this. He says, all things by the word of his power, right? So today, this person is infinitely powerful. He is speaking all over, all over the solar system and all the Milky Way and all other galaxies. He's speaking these things into being as well as all the molecules and all the, the wood and the metal and the brick of this building. He's holding our flesh and our hair and our skin and our lungs and our tissue and our fingernails in being right now. Then he says this, if we were to stop thinking, if he were to stop thinking you into being you would cease to be. If, if He were to stop thinking you into being, you would cease to be. That's how dependent you are on Christ Jesus. Number six, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty. So why, why is that significant? 
because this seating is an enthronement. It gives Him His proper place in our hearts. He's sitting at the right hand of majesty. He is the King of the universe. He is at the right hand of the Father and He reigns over all government. He reigns over the enemy. He reigns over weather. He reigns over heart attacks and cancer and disease. He reigns today. He does. He reigns. And so that's, that's number one. We're dealing with this this morning. We have a person. He's alive and He's real. And all six of those facts are true about Him. You can check my work. Go find it in the Bible. And he, this is the person who made purification in the second section of sins. And so we're going to be dealing with, with sins quite a bit uh, as we walk through Hebrews. I know you're like, hmm, that's going to be fun. And it will, to be honest with you. Because it's never once going to say, you need to defeat your sin issue. Never once is it going to do that. It's going to constantly come in and say, Jesus has satisfied your sin issue. Now you live in a response to that forgiveness. Every single time. So, so, so let's, let's pick up on this sin factor first. It's at the end of this phrase, making purification of sin. So, so sin is a reality. It's a power that's in this world. When you read the book of Romans, you, you have to come to terms with the fact that, that sin is not just this isolated thing that we do here or there. That, that sin... It's, it's not just deeds, it's, it's a power. And it moves in the heart, it moves in the will, it moves in the world, it takes hold, and, and it, it's got a grip on every one of us. It's an awful thing, and everyone in this room is infected by it. And you say, ah, yes, good warm feelings this morning. Now some of you have a remedy at work in your lives that will bring you to glory, and perhaps some of you this morning in here don't. Um, but we're all infected like a disease. We are. We are all infected and it's lethal. And we're all going to die physically. And He has not willed to remove that aspect of the curse from us for a purpose. You know, and we will all pass through death unless Jesus returns first. So, so sin is this universal horrid thing. And, and so, so there's three things I want us to kind of bring into focus. I'm not going to tell you anything that I don't think you already know about sin. Um, but that number one, sin is rooted in unbelief. We were talking about this briefly uh, yesterday morning at our men's breakfast uh, because Mark was doing his very best to stop, stomp all over uh, what I was trying to talk about this morning. Um, and so you notice he's not even in here, right? He's like, I already know it all. Um, but, but sin is rooted in unbelief. It, it, it comes down to this issue of I lack trust in God. And now here, here's something that I'm learning, is that, that really all of the issues I've faced in my life come down, boil down to this one singular issue. Do I trust God or not? Do I? Now the issue is, I can tell you to trust God. I can implore you. I can, I can lay out all of the facts, but I can't make you trust Him. I can, I can try to convince you today to trust Him. I can say, hey, make it an experiment, give it a go, right? But I can't make you trust Him. And all sin reveals in us is that we don't trust Him because if we had perfect trust in the wisdom and the love and the power of God, we wouldn't go against Him. Because we would know this very powerful truth. 
that there's nothing greater outside of Him. There isn't. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing Him, glorifying Him, living for Him. There is nothing that we wouldn't go against Him so freely and so often. So, so there's un, in the root of sin is unbelief. Number two, there's disobedience. There's a will of God. We've gone against the will of God and we've disobeyed. I don't have to teach you very much about that, right? Number three, here's what we need to know about sin. God is angry with it. God's angry with it. His wrath burns against it. That, now, we live in, you know, this century in, in basically the, the, the proclamation of the church is that God is love, 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 and that's exactly true. Now, let's go back a couple of centuries, say the 18th century, and the message was uh, God is angry, God is angry, God is angry, God is angry. And that is true in part. In fact, it's where we get the, the phrase, we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. And both of these things are true. Depending on where you are between this century and the 18th century, you need to hear one of those messages or the other. That My guess is that you've heard God is love, God is love, God is love, and that is absolutely, again, it is true. And, but the fact that He is angry against sin gets overlooked. It's overlooked. In fact, I heard a pastor talk about there's two beautiful things that happen at the cross that, that we get to see this display of God's love by sending His Son to rescue us, but we also see God's wrath poured out on the cross and the fact that Christ takes on our sin. And God hates that. He hates that. The anger that He feels against sin is what brought His Son to suffering and death, but if there had been another way to deal with it, uh, he would have chosen that way. But the cross is this expression of two things, not just one. It's a just anger, and it's an incredible mercy towards sinners. Incredible, incredible. So let's not short-circuit the gospel today. Let's reckon with the truth that, that we, apart from Christ, are sinners. And God is angry at sin. In fact, it's a, it's a great offense against him. Then, let's get to this last section. After making purification. So if we just said God is angry against sin, we would all leave here defeated, right? Because we would be done. There would be no hope for us. But Jesus makes purification. This is where we get to see the gospel in one word, purification. After making purification of sins, and I want you to see something in the words after making, and I want you to see something in the word purification. And the main thing that we talk about after making is that from the perspective of this writer and from Christ having taken seat at the right hand of God, the work of purifying your sins is totally finished. It's totally finished. It's, it's so important to understand this. After making, it's not is making, it's not will make, it's not after you go do these four or five things, uh, then you will be purified. No, he, after making it, then sat down. And that's one thing, and it's over. And so, so the enthronement of Christ is this honor and a tribute to the work that is finished. It's finished. That, and I hope, I hope you feel that today. I hope you do. That, that the purification that was made was made once and for all. So, 
So don't think, I've, I've sinned a long time in my life, and then I found Christ, and I believe He intervened by His blood, and He cleaned up the first half of my life, and now I'm living by faith a little bit, and I'm still sinning a little bit. You don't, you don't think that way. You don't. The, the, the interposition of the blood was 2,000 years ago, and it will never be repeated. Jesus will never have to crawl on a cross again to die for more sins. Never will. He died for all of your sins, for the sins that you will commit on your dying day, whether that be a year from now or 40 years from now, 50 years from now. Um, the purification of that sin happened 2,000 years ago. And so this is, this is the awesomeness of the gospel. I mean, yes, it's, it's open to great abuses. Right? Paul brings up one of those in Romans that, that the argument could be made that, well, I mean, shouldn't we just go on sinning so that the grace of God can abound more and more? And we can say, ah, I'm, I know I'm sinning, but, you know, God's going to forgive me. Right? And he says, absolutely not. He says, you don't, you don't live that way because to live that way shows that you don't understand the price that has been poured out for you at the cross. You don't understand the weight of what Christ absorbed for you at the cross. So he says anything that we do with our lives after we accept Jesus as both Savior and Lord is simply this testimony of the goodness and the great mercies that God has given us. And so, Jesus has made purification for sin. It is done. It's a decisive thing. And so, so let's, start, let's start wrapping this up. So, so Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Let me just read it to you one more time. It says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke. The Father spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, now we still share, we still share in these last days. And you say, well, 2,000 years seems to be a lot of last days. Right? But when your perspective is eternity, this is nothing. This is nothing. But in these last days, today, God has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things. Corbett, I think that... Y'all hearing that? Or am I going... Okay. Um, the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down. He sat down. He gets enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on, on high. And my prayer is as we go through this letter together that, that is very simple, I long for you to fall deeper in love with Jesus. That's the win. I long for you to fall deeper in love with Jesus. And, and, and my prayer it just continues. If you have no love for Jesus, I pray you would begin to see Him more clearly as presented. I pray that, that if you have a young and you have a, a puppy love for Jesus, you ever been there? Right? That it just feels like this is as good as it ever will get. And, and what I pray is that, that you would grow deeper in your affections so that, that you can experience the great difference between holding hands and feeling an embrace. Right? I always think about that when it comes to uh, my relationship uh, with my wife, Misty. 
Uh, she left me this weekend, uh, and it feels like an eternity. Raising kids is no joke. Uh, but I said she left me this weekend. Well, allegedly she's coming back. She ain't home yet. But I remember when, when we started dating, holding her hand and thinking, all is right in the world. It can't get any better than this. And if you're a teenager, it doesn't. Stay there. Okay? But over the last 25 years of being her boyfriend and then being her husband, I love holding her hand, but it's not the same as it was then. But my love and my affection for her is so much deeper now than it has ever been. And that's what I hope for us. Is that if you have a puppy love for Jesus, where, where you do love, you love being around Him, you love hearing about Him, you know, whether that would continue to take root in your life. And then I pray for us that, that if we have a deep and abiding love for Christ, that, that what we find in these verses will, will plant roots deeper so that those who are far from God may find life in Christ because of your words and your deeds and your manner of living. And I'll be honest, there, there are days I get to come in and we get to worship together and I'm like, this group loves Jesus. And then there are days, like, to, like today, I don't know, I don't know if I'm wrong about this, that we got to gather around the throne room of grace and we didn't get it. We didn't. I don't, I don't say that to chastise anybody or to guilt anybody, because if, if you think, well, it was me, then it wasn't only you, right? We didn't get it. We didn't. We didn't bring our hearts into this room. We didn't bring our adoration for worship into this space. We didn't. You and I, for the most part, stood very casually in the presence of God, and we said, doing a good job. And that's not worship. And that's not praise. We didn't walk in here this morning eager to experience what God has for us. We came in here, some of us came in here because it's Sunday and it's what we do. And some of you check your clock and you're like, kick off at 12, let's go. I got to process. And if that's the way we approach this, then you're not doing God any favors, by the way. Like, you can go into the Old Testament and you can see him really get after it. And he says, listen, I'm done with the sacrifices. I don't need any more bulls at the altar. I don't need any more blood that's being poured out. I've had it all. It doesn't, when your heart's not here, don't show. Don't show. And what I pray is that we would see Jesus so clearly that we can't but speak about Him. And we get it. We get it. Not when, 
Not when we gather around here and we all of a sudden raise our hands, right? Not when we all of a sudden sing just a little bit louder. Not when we all of a sudden come in and we're just a little bit more friendly. We get it when people look at our lives and they say, it is undeniable whose heart, who their heart belongs to. It's the way it is. So today we didn't get it. We didn't. I don't like saying that. I feel responsible for that. We didn't get it. It is a privilege to speak the name of Jesus. It is a privilege. Now the good news is we get to come back next week and try again. <laughs> you get to center your heart this week and that's, that's all church is. It's a collection of hearts that have spent time with Jesus that comes in to celebrate them. So I'm going to pray us out today. I want to tell you a couple things. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. We don't want to waste our time around here. We don't. And please don't hear me say, well, if you're not here, then we don't want you here. We want you here. We want you here warts and all. We want you here on your good days and your bad days. But we want our hearts to be centered around Christ, not around going to a church. So if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, we want to give you that opportunity. We want to start that conversation. If, if you want to remember the price that Jesus has paid for us, uh, we've been told we have new oyster crackers. Thank you. Um, yeah. Why are you clapping on that? Did you tell anybody about it? Okay, then, then you're part of the problem. Okay? Well, maybe it was supposed to taste bitter because it's about Jesus there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole theological thing other than the fact that we just haven't replaced them. All of those things are available to you today. I love you guys. I do. I love you. And I love what God is doing here. And I just don't want to waste another moment just sitting and wasting time. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Let me pray us out. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your heart for us. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for your son who was poured out on our behalf. What I pray is that you would continue to love us. You would continue to open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless. You're dismissed.